finishing Romans 11 today. We'll be in Romans 11 verses 33 through 36. Romans 11 verses 33 through 36. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Have you ever had one of those moments in your life, I'm sure you all have, of great accomplishment or joy that just hits you in such a way that you had to respond physically or verbally. I, thinking on this this week, there were several moments that came to mind. I remember when I finished college, when I finished RTS, my seminary degree. I remember the day I married Luann, the day Josiah was born, the day I adopted the girls. It was the, one of those moments where you have to just break out in joy. My face hurt the day I married Luann from smiling because I was so happy. But there are also moments where when we're saying our vows that I began to weep and joy of what God was doing. There are times in our life where things happen and we cannot help but respond. I remember taking my final music history exam Whistling rejoice from Handel on my way down the hallway. Rejoicing in the fact that I would never take a church history, or excuse me, a music history exam again. This is what Paul's doing here. He has been considering the wonder, the mercy, the goodness of God. He's been considering the wonderful knowledge and plan of salvation. And Paul cannot help but verbally break out in a song of joy and praise and glory. He literally bursts out into a doxology. Paul is concluding one of the most difficult passages, I think, in all of Scripture, talking about Israel and Gentiles and God's plan of salvation. But when considering it, he can't help but give God praise. He has been revealed the mysteries of God concerning the future of Israel. Something that for Paul is particularly important. These are his people, his kinsmen. And so he's motivated to respond. He does this in three sections. He begins in 33 by exclaiming three things about God. He moves to three rhetorical questions, three questions implying a negative answer. And then he, he finishes with this doxology. So as we consider these three sections, we'll see God's wisdom. Third, second, we'll see man's inability. And third and finally, we'll see Paul's doxology. God's wisdom, 
man's inability and Paul's doxology. Paul begins here with this word, oh. And it's not lightly said. This, you can't see this. In the Greek, it's a very, oh. It's exclamatory. It's emphatic. This is an emotional assertion of Paul's awe. Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom of God. This is, this is like akin to Adam in Genesis when he wakes back up and he sees Eve sitting there and he goes, Oh, this at last is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. I will call you woman because you were taken out of man. This is the same thing that's going on there. Adam is marveling at the beauty and wonder of Eve. And Paul is marveling at the wonder and the beauty of the gospel. Oh, the depths and the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. It forces us to ask, what is bringing Paul to this sort of exclamation? He's stimulated by all this contemplating and studying of the depths and wonder of God. It's, he's overwhelmed with the inexhaustible, inexhaustible magnitude of his Savior. And he does this by listing some attributes of God, three attributes of God. So what are these attributes? He begins with saying, oh, the depths of the riches. He begins to talk about the riches of God. And this is not saying that God is a wealthy person. This is not what Paul is saying here. It's the richness of his, his wisdom and knowledge. Being expressed to undeserving sinners, both Jew and Gentile alike. Second, he says, how, how, and this again is exclamatory, how unsearchable are his judgments. This is the decision about God's direct or direction for salvation history. He has judged to reveal salvation to us in a certain way. He says, how unsearchable are his judgments. Third and finally, he says, how, again, exclaiming how inscrutable his ways. This is a word we probably don't use that much today. I don't go around saying, that Alan, he's so inscrutable to me. Uh, we, we may not know what it means. It means... Impossible to understand or interpret. Paul is saying God is impossible to understand or interpret on our own. We can't understand God on our own. This is impossible. It's beyond human understanding. So what are we to make of these three characteristics of God? These three exclamatory statements. First, we're forced with Paul to contemplate that there is no God like our God, who is the one true God. He is the God of all creation. He understands everything perfectly because he is the one who formed it. He has deep and intimate knowledge of it. He is the one who set the stars in the sky, who set the earth spinning, who gave us air to breathe. He has depth of knowledge that we cannot begin to have. And there are many things we may desire to know, 
Why is the universe the way it is? Why did he create us the way he created us? How will it all come to its ultimate conclusion? And as much as we study any of these things, they are beyond us. But they are not beyond God. He is the one who has set it all in motion. But he is also the one who has set salvation in motion. His plan for redemption from the foundation of the world. His calling of the patriarchs and giving them the promises. He has called out Israel as his own. He has sent his son for the redemption of the whole of the world. And we cannot even begin to grasp what is going on. We should rightly be in awe before him. We should wonder at the depths of his wisdom and his care for his people. This is what he's done for us. Apart from his allowing us, we can know nothing. His judgments are unsearchable. We cannot begin to search out or understand the decrees of God in ourselves. The Shorter Catechism asks this question, what are the, the decrees of God? The answer is this, the decrees of God are his eternal purpose according to the counsel of his will, whereby for his own glory he hath foreordained whatever comes to pass. This is all things that he has set beforehand. He has foreordained whatever shall come to pass and we cannot even for a second begin to understand in ourselves his eternal purposes. We cannot do this. We should be humbled and overwhelmed when we come and see our God. How inscrutable are his ways. How unknowable are his ways. We like to think that at times we understand the mind of God. That we can control the mind of God. We think God should think the way that we think. That his right and wrong should match, match our right and wrong. But once again Paul tells us the mind of God is far above and beyond our own mind. And we, when we fail to understand this, when we talk about what is right and wrong and then apply it to God, we make a grave error. And so we question, why does God do the things that he does? But it is not for us to question. His ways are indeed inscrutable so Paul goes on and he talks about man's inability he does this in three rhetorical questions and these three questions relate to his three statements of all question one who knows the mind of the Lord hasn't he just said that the mind of the Lord is inscrutable the answer is no one knows the mind of the Lord. The second question is, who has been his counselor? Hasn't he just said his judgments are unsearchable? Who can counsel God in his decrees because God's judgments are his own? Who has given a gift that he might be repaid? 
Hasn't he just said that God possesses all riches? We have not given God anything that he should owe us something. These questions all expect a negative answer. No human can fully understand or even begin to understand in himself what God is doing in the world. Christ, of course, is the embodiment of this wisdom. And only through Christ can we even begin to understand what God is doing. He has revealed to us in Christ his plan for salvation. No one is the head of God. No one has earned something that God must pay and is owed. It is only by the grace of God that we experience his depth and his riches. Paul once again is revealing to us that we can't know. We can't think we know better than God because his ways are far beyond us. (coughs) This means... That God can work however he wants. And you can't say a thing about it. If he wants to use Israel's rejection to save Gentiles, then he can do it. If he wants to bring hardship on you to refine or save you, he can do it. If he desires to call us home at any moment, that is not unfair or unjust. That is God doing what God will do. We do not know the mind of the Lord, just as Job did not know the mind of the Lord. His ways are not our ways. No one has been his counselor, the second question. We don't stand in a position to give God advice. God, let me tell you, I see what you're doing over here. That's good. But this is not, I don't like this. So let me give you some advice. If you could just change this, that would be better for me. The finite cannot inform the infinite. They can't. The created cannot counsel the creator. But we often try to do that very thing, don't we? God, I don't think that this situation that you have me in is a really good situation. And I think that you need to change it for me. I don't care for it. I don't like it. Let's change it. And we don't stay content where God has us. We like to force our agenda. There's nothing that we have given God, that he must repay us. This is a somewhat hard phrase here. He says, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid. And this is an issue of recompense. It's a giving back or reciprocity, giving back for something that is given. And in essence, he says, God owes you nothing. In Adam, man fell. It could have been done there. He did not owe man anything. He did not owe him Jesus. He didn't owe him anything. And everything that we are given is grace and mercy. We do not earn it. He did not give it out of compulsion. We are not owed it. We must understand our position. We cannot question it. We cannot make demands of God. We can only come with open 
arms and receive the grace that he has given to us. But this also means that he comes to us willingly. He invites us willingly. Oh, isn't that an encouragement that he actively is choosing to love you, not because you've done something. We rejoice then in what he has done for us as his people. And Paul then, in contemplating all of this, breaks forth in doxology, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Paul, in contemplating God the Father, I believe specifically God the Father here, is acknowledging that he is the source and sustainer and the goal of all things. And therefore he cries out in doxology. This word doxology, you may have sung the doxology growing up and not known anything about what it means. But doxology comes from the word doxa, the Greek word doxa, which means glory. It means to give glory to God. And this is the goal of what, we're, what Paul's doing here. He's giving glory to God for what he, he has done for us as a people. For calling us out even though we didn't deserve it. For forming for us this wonderful plan of salvation. He makes this great declaration about who God is for from him and through him and to him are all things. What does this mean? That God's in control of some things, but not all things. No, that from him and through him and to him are all things without exception. Everything comes from God. There is nothing he is not in control of. All things find their life and breath and sustenance through him. The very creation and its laws are upheld because of him. Paul is proclaiming that God is above all and there are none that he is subject to. Therefore, we must rightly give him praise. We surrender to his authority. We must not grow puffed up and arrogant in anything that we do. Instead, we cry out with Paul, God, yours is the glory forever. I think there are times where we can do this with great joy. There are times in our lives where this is an easy thing to do. We see God. We see his mercies. We understand our sinfulness. We understand what we have been delivered from. And so we cry out in doxology, glory to God, for I am happy. Right? But there are other times where we don't like our situation. We're not content in our job. We're not content in our health. We're not content in our tax bracket. And we still cry out. But we don't cry out in glory. Oh God, why are you doing this to me today? Why are you afflicting this on me? Am I not your child? How dare you, God? 
isn't it our nature to argue with our parent? Have you children? Isn't it in the nature of children to argue with their parents? Wasn't it our own nature to argue with our parents? And do we not do the same with God? God, if you could just give me a better job and a little bit more money, my life would be easier and I'd have more time for you. God, it is unfair that you have afflicted this illness upon me. God, I just want that office down the hall. But when we understand who God is, as Paul reveals him to us here, we understand what, it is, what he has done for us. And we cannot help but give glory. God, I have this cancer that is wrecking my body, but you are in control and you are sovereign and to you is the glory. God, I, I am uncertain in my job and I may lose it. But it's your glory and you are in control and you are caring for me. When we understand who God is, when we understand truly who God is, that he is not some omnipotent Santa Claus giving and taking as he wills. That's not who God is. He's not a genie in a lamp that we, if we rub the right way, we get our wishes. That's not who God is. God is sovereign over all creation. He is in control over all things. He has given sinners who are deserving of nothing and has given to them everything. This is the goal of our whole life. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God, to enjoy him forever. I think there are far few, too few times in our life where we respond as Paul has responded. Have you ever been so overwhelmed? If you have, I, I, I thanks to God that you have, but have you ever been so overwhelmed with the goodness of God that you've been forced to respond out loud, glory be to God. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Even in my sickness, to God be glory. Even in my wealth, to God be glory. To even in my hurt, to God be the glory forever and ever. We fail to respond like this because we don't understand not truly who God is. Yes, there are times where he blesses with, with friends, with family, with wealth, with health. There are times that he blesses us with poverty and illness and hurt. What? You missed that up. You meant to say there's times that he curses us with these things, right? No. There are times that God blesses us through hardship. And how are we to respond? To God be the glory 
forever and ever. There is no God like our God. His wisdom is not our wisdom. He is far beyond us. His ways are not our ways. He is the author and authority of all things. And we, in this life, and I'm sure in the life to come, will never understand him fully. It's my hope and prayer that we understand him more and more each day, and I am certain that in eternity we will understand him even more. But we cannot understand God in his fullness. And we have done nothing to earn salvation. We have done nothing as if to make God owe us something. But God, in his goodness and his kindness and his love for a stiff-necked, stiff-backed, sinful, wayward people, called you out said you are going to be my children and I am going to be your God not because you're good enough not because you're special enough not because you're pretty enough or wealthier enough no he called you out because of his love and mercy which are both unmerited therefore we with Paul must cry out Glory be to God. Thanks be to God in all of life, in everything that we do, in all our circumstances. Thank you. Give glory. I love this section of Paul. And Paul has a tendency, he does this every now and again. He is so overwhelmed, I believe, with even what he's writing himself that he cannot help but break out. We've been going on for, from chapters 9, starting in chapter 9, he's been dealing with this issue of Israel and the Gentiles and salvation in general and how does salvation come and who is it coming for and when is it coming for them? And over and over again through Romans, he has been building this up. There is none who are righteous. All have rejected God. None are deserving But in Christ Jesus, we have salvation. Thanks be to God, whose wisdom is not our wisdom, whose plans are not our plans, whose ways are not our ways. You don't want a God who would bend his knee to you. You don't. You don't want everything you have or everything you would want. You have a God who has given to you in spite of yourself. So brothers and sisters, would we be a people who confronted with the reality of who God is and the salvation that he has given us, would we respond in a doxology, in prayer and in praise of who God is? This is what we're about to do. We sang either last month or the month before last, the Romans doxology, and this was all in preparation for this Sunday. We're about to sing, oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom of God, how unsearchable are his ways. I want you to think about the words. We've just spent, whatever, 30 so minutes talking about this. And we're going to close in prayer, and I'm going to ask you to stand. 
Consider these words. Cry out to your God. What we do here, it's not about pretty voices. It's not about how well we can sing. It's about acknowledging who we are and who we are before God. And we are to rightly to cry out in praise and in doxology. So as we come now, let's pray and let us, with all boldness, approach the throne of God and give praise and glory to his name. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the reality that is seen here in this text, that your ways are not our ways, that your wisdom is not our wisdom. Thanks be to God that you do not give us everything that we would want. Would we be a people who are continually giving glory where glory is due to God and God alone? Amen. Let us stand now and sing our closing hymn, the Romans doxology.
church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Amen.